Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, someone who changed my life in a major way, Jesse Brown, founder of Canada Land and also breaker of major news stories across the Canadian media landscape. Yeah, a big, big, and also founder of Punch. That's the one that big was the big influence on me in the very beginning. Punch, we will get to all of this in one second. But first, if you would like to find me on various forms of social media, I am at left for Damien. You can also find me on Facebook. There is a page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham, facebook.com slash turned out a punk. You can also find us on Instagram at turned out a punk on a bunch of other places. There's also an email address you can reach the show at, which is turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com. And there is also uh, a way to support the show. The best way to support the show is by subscribing to it, writing a review and rating it wherever you can telling all your friends about it, spreading the word, spread the word. If you're on iTunes, write a review, rate it. Tell people that way, but more importantly, tell your friends. Tell someone you know that you think would be down with what we're doing here about what we're doing here. And that's that's a great way to help. Uh, there is also support and generous, loving help coming from the fine folks at Vans. Vans came aboard a few years ago and said, we want you to do the show, not in your own pocket. And it's been great. It's been really awesome. So, so thank you, Vans, for the continued support of this show and there is, uh, that, that's it. That's really it. That's all about it. I, I don't really have any other plugs and stuff to get to this week right now. Oh, yeah, maybe maybe you can come see Fucked Up on tour. We're going to be heading out on the road. By the time you're hearing this, we will be out there. We're going to be doing the East Coast. We're going to be going from Ottawa all the way to, I think we're going last show, is uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So if you are in the East Coast of the United States, parts of Canada, check your local listings and come out and say hi. It's like turned out a punk, but in person. So come and see us on the road. And you can also see us on the West Coast in December. We're going to go to Europe in the new year. And who knows where else? Who knows where else? So come see me. Say hello. And yeah, that's it. That's it for the plugs this week. On to today's show. Today on the show, Jesse Brown, founder of Canada Land, also founder of Punch Magazine, a huge, or Punch n- newspaper, I guess, a huge influence on me as a young person, as he was a fellow young person that struck out after being, you know, deposed from his position at his school's newspaper and started his own thing. And it's very inspiring. You'll hear the whole story in a second here. Uh, Jesse, though, is most recently kind of well-known as the founder of Canada Land, which is basically a a crowd-funded, also it does have some sponsors on their podcast as well, funded, but just media accountability media company, I guess, is the best way to put it. I don't know. They They do reports on all sorts of stuff. Uh, from the other newsmakers, and he is—it's—it's uh, it's a really great resource to have in Canada right now. That's just kind of. I don't know, talking about all sorts of things. You know, it is very controversial amongst people that work in media, of course, and uh, I can understand that position as well, but it is certainly somewhere that has broken a lot of 
big news about newsmakers and where your news is coming from. And they are doing a funding drive right now for their Patreon. So go over, check out Candleland. They have a bunch of podcasts here, a bunch of really cool podcasts, a brand new one, all about Thunder Bay. And let me tell you, that is a true crime podcast that, that that's scaring the pants off of me right now. Um, and it's, and it's also incredibly important information that's coming out on that podcast. Uh, so yeah, please go out there and support Candleland, check out the stuff they're doing and check out this interview with Jesse Brown, as you'll hear a big influence on me. And this is one that I've wanted to do for so long. And now it's finally happened. You can also check me out on Candleland Shortcuts a couple weeks ago. We talk about all sorts of stuff and, and, and get into things that uh, I don't normally, you know, get a chance to talk about. So it's a real interesting listen. And hopefully you enjoy that too. Uh, I Actually, I guess for a bit of context, I also know Jesse, uh, as you'll hear here, from uh, going to uh, family friends parties and things like that. So... Uh, just to give you a bit of context, that's how it all fits together. But I had no idea that this dude that I knew, you'll, you'll hear all this in a second, but this dude I knew from family parties was also the guy that did Candleland, but was mainly for me, the guy that did this zine newspaper thing. You'll hear all about that in a second, Punch, which is one of the key Kickstarters in my countercultural instincts. So anyway, I'm not going to blather on anymore. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Jesse Brown on Turned Out a Punk. Awesome. I'm in your hands. Oh, I'm, this feels amazing. Jesse, thank you for having me in your studio recording on your gear. Yeah, my it's my pleasure. It's been uh, We just recorded uh, an episode of, of my podcast with you, and uh, that was really fun. So, yeah, that, uh, happy to do it. Well, this is amazing for me to get to do this, because as I was telling you earlier, you are a major influence on me, and people are always coming to me being like, when are you going to do your own Turned Out of Punk? And I really think that discussing your, your life with you today, especially getting to your early journalism career was such a huge inspiration on me that I really feel like through this conversation, people are going to get that much sought after Damien turned out a punk moment through your turned out a punk moment. We're going to get your origin story <laughs> through your origin story. Okay. Weirdly. This is all so weird. <laughs> it's so, so sure. weird. It's a weird show. Why not? We're going to ramble. That's the whole point. All right. Uh, but Jesse, I got to start this off the way I start them all off, which is how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? That's an interesting question. Um, like I was like a, a hopeless mutant in terms of the kind of influences that were in my brain. And the, like I, I, I could have been found in a tie-dyed Guns N' Roses t-shirt listening to Meatloaf. Um, but there was like I, I, my first radio job at, at the age of 16, I was a, an intern at Q107. Okay. And – I, I, I wish I could answer your question directly. So I had all these friends who were like blues guitarists and we were like, like I, I was listening to that stuff and then Robert Johnson. <laughs> um, but then there was a summer I spent in an arts camp where everybody was like, why are you listening to all this weird and old? Like, you know, I had a big sister who was like, you know, certain kind of like Jewish, like Led Zeppelin and like Neil Young, like a hippie-ish kind of a thing was like, you know, so like all this mm -hmm. like, I, like I, didn't, I was trying to figure out how, how the fuck do I be an effective teenager? And, 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 um, <laughs> It was this experience at this uh, arts camp where there were kids who like 
We're listening to Sonic Youth, and I, actually, that was where I first heard Bad Brains, and mm-hmm. that that was like that was the band, that, the first band to connect with me. That's that you could that is a punk band would would be Bad Brains. I would even say Sonic Youth. To Maybe. me, they, they come out of that same explosion. You know, it's like a different style approach to it, but like certainly, it's definitely not what mainstream kids were listening to. No. And, and, uh, you know, that was kind of a gateway where like I came back from that summer with some understanding of like what was kind of like developing into alternative music at the time. And that was like, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam or something, you know, and, and like it, it's so opposite, it's so tribal at that point where I'm like, I, I had some weird, like I was going to define myself in some weird rock category as opposed <laughs> to this. So I couldn't hang with those. And then once I liked those bands, I, I, I made the friends who were kind of like, the friends of my adolescent, like, like my real friends. And, 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 um, they were into it, like, you know, not punk bands, but like, you know, like, what am I going to say? It, they were grunge bands mm-hmm. and they were bands of that era. Um, which is a hundred percent an outgrowth of punk. Absolutely. Like every single one, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, like all those people had played in punk bands or were punk influenced and. Yeah. And, and like, you know, I remember visiting my uncle in Vancouver, driving down to Seattle and all I wanted to do was like, well, I want to get like, where can I get Mud Honey albums? And like, you know, it was like, like that stuff was, I was, what, you know, and that obsessive thing of that age where yeah. you're like, once you get into it, but like the, the stuff that like, you know, Fishbone was a big band for mm-hmm. me. That mm-hmm. was a big band for mm-hmm. me. Um, I don't think Living Color qualifies at all, but that I, I like that band a lot. I would like that. I think it was called the Black Rock Revolution. Yeah. Like the bands that got lumped in that, but I, I would definitely say that they're part of it, you know, like. As far as, you know, once again, anything that was kind of opposed to that mainstream that was kind of breaking through at that point, like to me, you know, you could see in Living Color or Living Color and you could be like, they are, I can make the direct connection between them and, you know, this band over here that's doing something cool. So, yeah, I I definitely lump them in. You know, the, the, the big punk influence for me wasn't music, except for all, there's one exception to that that was a big exception and, and one that's like totally in a way embarrassing, but I don't give a shit. Like we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> There's no embarrassing shit on this show. Trust me. <laughs> it was punk comics. Like mm-hmm. that was a big mm-hmm. deal for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, nothing more so than Dan Klaus's eight ball. Yeah. Like that comic was, you know, I, uh, the spirit of kind of um, like just fuck you satire mm-hmm. um, that, you know, this anarchic thing that like when I was younger with Mad Magazine and then you outgrow that and then I'm like into all this like superhero stuff and then like, you know, DC, Sandman, Dark Fan. I'm like, ah, I'm like, I'm not feeling that anymore. And I probably would have just like stopped with the comics had I not found Pete Bag's Hate mm-hmm. and Dan Klaus's uh, Eight Ball, which was just like, it was the most finely sharpened shiv. Like it was just this like, the the way it was drawn, <laughs> the writing was so sharp and it was just so apt in its fuck you in a way that like, I never could feel that with a lot of punk music where it was so angry without any humor. Um, the, the, the way that he kind of refined that mm-hmm. was a big, big deal for me. And then the embarrassing one was Henry Rollins. Well, I, I don't think that's embarrassing. Henry Rollins has definitely had an impact on all of us <laughs> in some way. I, I'll own it. To- and you know what? I, it's actually <laughs> shitty of me to like, I'm not going to dump on Henry Rollins because yeah. like it was, like I needed that at the time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I like a lot of that mentality became really, really important to me, uh, around like, you know, coming to some kind of self-awareness of your own self-loathing and your own, uh, you know, it'd be a depression or your feelings of like not being externally validated or recognized. 
and just saying, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm going to do my thing anyhow. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly liberating to um, to not give a shit about sucking, you know? <laughs> yeah. like, I, like, I was really hardcore into it, and, and I was, like, reading his, his poetry books. They're not good poetry books. <laughs> no, not They're, in the classical sense. <laughs> no. Um, you know, but, but, like, there was just, he's like, I'm not a good singer. I'm not a good writer. Fuck you, I'm doing it anyhow. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that was a source of like, you know, self-realization and strength that was very much, I needed that at that time in my adolescence. There were negative things I got from that too. But, but you know, it, it, it served a really important purpose for me. Um, I went to see him speak. Like I got really obsessive about it. And, you know, and like seeing him perform was, was like, that, that's the punk experience where you're like, the energy of that and, and a lot of it that I, I, in your performance, I see you channel and like, like that, like then you're like, no, you are, this guy is good at something, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's an animal, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, and, and he talks about the, the work ethic that he brought to what he did. That, that's a punk ethic that meant something to me, you know, and he wrote about it and, and like, you know, you, you, you go there, whether there's two people or a hundred you give them your best show and you give every fucking thing you have. And, and he kind of like just belligerently overcame his like lack of talent um, to, to be like an incredibly magnetic and, you know, and, and then, you know, that was a visceral and that's where the visceral experience of punk spoke to me. I mean, it did at fishbone shows too and other shows just like that's where, and you know, just being like a hormonal angry young man and like just being like slam dancing was something that like served a purpose as well. It was a real angry youth culture in the nineties, you know, like, like it not, not negatively angry necessarily. And it's, I guess that's all youth culture, but it just feels like, you know, when you talk about hate at the magazine, the comic, there's like a, there's an anger and a cynicism that comes across there. And Rollins, you see that too. Like, it just feels like that was such like a, a, a time of like disenfranchisement, disenfranchisement with yeah. young people. Yeah, and it was really sexless too. You very, know? very <laughs> sexless, definitely. You know, it was there was not a lot of. I mean, I guess like you know, back before they were like a total joke. The Red Hot Chili Peppers were the were the one band that kind of had mm-hmm. like like rock and roll. Like I think it was like Elvis Costello said, like when they lost the role, it was a real big like like the rhythm was like <laughs> yeah. th- th- that it should have some kind of syncopation and beat to it. It's for dancing and like that's a that's like it, sh- it was originally about sex and that was like not a part of mm-hmm. like this was just it was this was angry candy, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. It had to do with a lot of like it was. This was like kind of a weird, dark period where you know it felt like the mainstream was so stultifying, it was so overpowering that if you're going to break away from that, it, it's like a very angry expression. Mm-hmm. And I think like you know Rollins, you know signing the major label, doing that. Like he did a lot of outreach for people all over the world that were like looking for the alternative. And here's this guy who's like, they got nominated for a Grammy for Liar, you know? Like, they were a mainstream band for a second. And then you're like, like that's where I heard about Black Flag. It's like, oh, this guy yeah. who does this a song that I love, Liar, he also played this old punk band. Let's check them out. And, and that's a gateway to, like, gateway, the yeah. actual, people are like, actual, well, that, well, that's, like, that's a real punk band. Mm-hmm. If you want to get into real hardcore and talk about that scene. And then it's that, like, who's, you know, who's punker than thou <laughs> with, like, oh, you don't know anything until you're part of the D.C. If you're, like, you know, the club, the, what, 930 Club in 1980, fuck off, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and you could kind of, like, I, I never quite fell down that hole, you know? Like, I, you know, I, I, I preferred uh, the Dead Kennedys to the Dead Mill. I prefer the Dead Milkmen to the Dead Kennedys, I can, right? Yep. You know, like I like I like stuff that had a kind of a you know a sense of humor about it. I guess. Were you into? Um, now I'm blanking on the name of the Rat Boy comic. Or was that later? 
Um, yeah, we published t- Tony's. Uh, that's what I was stuff. saying. Yeah, you guys just put put it was in Punch, right? Yeah, there was a yeah, we published his comics. Yeah. So I guess like that's the other thing I wanted to find out. When did you start becoming interested in in writing? Okay, so uh, th- like all of this stuff is swirling around, and you know, in my, in my head, and um, really this kind of like. Uh, very, very adolescent, you know, like if I'm going to feel like so marginalized, like, like it's ridiculous. I was from a, you know, nice parents, nice background, like they're like, but, but you know, the the way Mm -hmm. that you feel at that Mm -hmm. age, if you're and a lot of it has to do with like not being able to connect with people like sexually or like, you know, as your body's going through all that shit and, and trying to figure out your way socially. And also just like, like your mind is being turned on to the world and you know, the scales fall from your eyes and it's kind of ugly. Um, and you, but you know, what's underlying all of it is like that you're nothing that you're like, you realize your own insignificance and nobody really like, you know, there's like sort of no creature that's more useless than like a 13, 14 year old boy. Like, you know, you know, if you're a 14 year old girl, you're useful. Like, you know, like there's a lot of attention from older boys, you know, but like you're of use to no one uh, as a, like, you know, you're just like garbage, you know, um, you know, and, and you're not even to your, your friends, you know, it's like you, you really would throw each other under a train to get away from that person into a better place, you know? So it's like coming out of that just feeling of just like in the muck and just total uh, shame to like, fuck it, I'm going to do my thing. And um, with this kind of inspired by sort of like satire and like, there's even like a punk thing through um, research magazine. Mm-hmm. Like there's a hundred percent. This book, uh, uh, Pranks, that I, I, I got. Uh, One of that's my fucking Bible, Jesse. I yeah. the Joe Coleman section in that book changed my life. Joe Coleman, huh? Yeah. For me, it was Joey Skaggs mm-hmm. in there. Uh, there's pranksters, and this was like I was really, really interested in. Like it was kind of like you know, oh, you see the Matrix before there was the, the, the movie The Matrix, where it's like, oh, this this reality and this teenage society that feels so oppressive to me is gameable and is like reality is mutable, and everybody is just sort of responding in these very predictable ways. And I wonder if that can be manipulated. And I, I was also like into comedy. I was a fan of Lenny Bruce. And I started, like, I remember very explicitly, um, this is going to be used against me for sure in my journalism. <laughs> I remember very explicitly uh, approaching the editor of our school's newspaper, The Epigram at Northern Secondary, this kid named Sam, and saying, I want to write, like I was watching like, you know, talk radio and pump up the volume and, and stuff like that. And, you know, just really interested in, like, I got really interested in Howard Stern, who you couldn't hear on the radio. Yeah, it was hard to get that stuff. You know, and I wasn't even like, oh, like, like I read about him before I heard, like, yeah. the idea of like broadcasting in that way was was really appealing to me somehow. And so anyhow, I, I, I remember saying to the editor of the newspaper, like, I want to write a column where each column I try to piss a different group in this high school off. <laughs> Like I want, like, I'll, I'll do one where I, I try to annoy, like, like, you know, the football team, let's do the yeah. football team, you know, like, what the fu- like, why am I supposed, like, I'm supposed to come cheer for you. Do you cheer for me with the shit that I'm interested in? Like, why is the school validating this stuff where like, I'm allowed to skip class if I go to the football game? Fuck you. Like, can he skip class and come watch me draw comics? Fuck this shit. And then for a year, I was running from the football team at the South Doors <laughs> who were trying to kick my ass for saying that, you know? And it was like a very, like, I was just like, this is fun. Like, I'm not a nobody anymore. Um, like, I, like it, it's amazing how powerful it is. Yeah. Just, and I was taking the piss. Like, I didn't care about a lot of the stuff I was writing about. Like I was, I was like, I, I created a character who was writing these columns yeah. and I would piss off these teachers and do this thing and that thing. And it was, it was this like fun game for me. Um, that was really sociopathic and, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's like kind of like harmless satire, but, but like, you know, at a certain point, um, 
what happened? I, uh, I got into it. I was drawing comics for the school newspaper and I was writing this column and then I was like, well, what, like, how do I take this to its, its logical extreme would be to run like a satirical campaign for student council president. <laughs> so I did this kind of like, uh, you know, I, I consider myself a great subversive, you know, yeah. and I, 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 ran, I ran this campaign and the message was like student council is a joke. This is just a way for uh, the administration to say that they like that there is a representation of students. It's bullshit. We're just here to plan dances. So fuck this. Like yeah. make me the president and I will treat it like the joke that it is. Very nihilistic uh, platform. But it's a platform that every kid who didn't fit into the mainstream of their school would be able to get behind. Like your your idea there because like – Not enough. I, I, <laughs> um, well, I, there's just little pockets of us at every school. I'll never know. I'll never know. I, I, I ran this thing. I had tremendous fun with, with the posters and shit like that. And um, there were four people running and, they, and the student council who was running the election called us in and said, OK, well, we're, here's what's going to happen. So there was like me and then there were three other candidates, right? And they're, they're like – we're going to we never done this before but we're going to do a revote where it's just Jesse and like the, the the two top candidates who are Jesse and this other candidate and I, to this day i feel like this was an attempt to you know maybe i won yeah you you force a runoff I, you know and then they, and then they kind of like i'm like oh, this is weird and they're like no, no no this is totally the way it's done and then they did a runoff and i lost on the runoff which was a very good thing <laughs> because what happened was I had a whole year of high school ahead of me where I would have had to have somehow done something as student council president. (laughs) And instead, I had all this time on my hands and I was bitter. Like teachers had been like ripping my posters down from the walls and, um, you know, like the the administration was really uh, shitty to me. Like, like, And there was this really thing like you're not supposed to be running. The kids like you aren't supposed to be running. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote a column about everything that happened for the newspaper and they wouldn't run it. They wouldn't run it. And the, and, the, and the teacher who ran, who was the kind of staff, you know, representative of, of the student newspaper said, the student newspaper is here to cheerlead. Like he like literally said, like, you know, this newspaper is not here to write critical things about the school. Like this is here to, to encourage good things in the school. Mm-hmm. And we don't want you writing this column. And that summer I was like, well, fuck that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to publish my own newspaper. And um, I – this is where I took something from Rollins. Like I was, uh, you know, and it, it's cool to hear you say that, like it was like a zine to you. Like, and I, I read zines, I liked zines, but I was adamant. That was a newspaper. I'm not going to photocopy a zine. Yeah. This is like Rollins said, don't make noise in the basement. Right. Like he was challenged for selling out for doing an Apple ad for like, mm-hmm. he did like a think mm-hmm. different ad. It's like, you know, that's not really punk doing an Apple ad. And he says like, fuck you. Like, you know, a, like I want, kids who like me to get computers. That's a good thing. They, they should make shit. And B, he said, like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, bomb the suburbs. Like, I'm here to take on the mainstream. I'm not here to make noise in the basement. So I took that, like, that was, like, an important message to me. I'm like, if it looks like a zine, they'll ignore it. It's got to look like a newspaper. And I, and, and it can't be, like, you know, um, I got my parents to pay for a newspaper. So I went and, like, I went to the local convenience store and I, I got them to buy an ad. And I went to the local comic, to the Silver Snell comic shop and I got them to buy an ad. I went to Vortex Records and I went to all of these local businesses. And, they, and, I, said, and I explicitly said, people are going to read this and they're going to see your ad because it's the underground paper. Mm-hmm. They don't read the other paper. They're going to read it because it's underground. And I got my friends to write articles and do co- co- comics and, and, you know, review records. And we put out, you know, first it was just in my high school. And I had no idea that there was like a storied British satire magazine called Punch. <laughs> I had no idea that I'd stolen the name. And we, we debuted this thing and I wanted to de- debut it with a bang. So we, I, we did a survey of 100 students. I remember this. So you were at Northern, huh? No, but I just remember picking up this newspaper. I picked up the same time I picked up Vice. 
uh-huh. voice. Yeah, at the when time, it was voice. Yeah, uh, right. watch was was around yeah. that time. Yeah. We were in the same building that watch used to be in. Um, yeah. And it, and I picked a punch, and it was the thing that that you know Vice I loved. You know, I was like, wow, they're talking about all this stuff that I find interesting. Watch, I'm like, ah, oh, they got a couple of things, but then punch, I'm like, oh, this sounds like it's my head. So what? Did, yeah, what did it mean to like? Tell me, like, I think the the piece that really meant a lot to me was the one where it was exposing Forest Hill Collegiate right. as as a secret private school, and I think I found it so fascinating that it's like we all. Kids all have these conversations in the school, like this guy. But kids know, like, oh, like this teacher's uh, doing this, you know, sketchy, you know, pedophilic shit. Like this teacher's doing this drug. Like everyone knows this stuff that's going on in their school, but no one would have the courage to commit it to to not just a zine, but to like a paper, like yeah. a newspaper, and then finding out your story. Because I think you wrote an editorial one time, because I definitely knew, or maybe it was in Now Magazine that interviewed you about it or something. Yeah, there was there was coverage, like CBC picked up yeah, stuff. Yeah, and- Street Sense. There was a Street Sense episode, I think, on Punch. Oh, okay. I Which don't think so. Wasn't there? There was like a Jonavision. Yeah, well, no, because John, no, here's where you can, I think it was Street Sense because Jonathan so? Torrance used to be the host of Street Sense before Jonavision. Maybe he did. So. I, I don't know. I, I'm try- it was like, like I had this media whirlwind yeah. when this all happened, so it's possible that I forgot. I've, I've somehow edited that out. But like reading that and being like, like, you know, I think that's the thing about punk music. When you first hear punk music, especially when you're like, oh, these guys are like my age or like two or three years older than me. And they're telling me I can do this. Yeah. And that's, that's inspiring. That big brother thing. Yeah. Yeah, And it's also like the first time as a young person that someone's saying, no, no, this thing you're doing, that's valid. And the thing you're talking about, that's valid to, to other people. And that's, that rarely had punk hip hop. I think it happens in, but there are very few genres of music where youth are, are centered and their voices is kind of centered. And that's certainly not true in, in, you know, print journalism at the time, especially. So to have a student newspaper that was born out of someone being fucked around by their school was just like, oh shit, it's on. Like, like, you know, and where, and then the ad bus, I think Adbusters was even after that I started getting Adbusters and seeing Adbusters, but this whole idea of, Media as subversion or, you know, and, the, and like you said, there's a tradition of this. There's Punch. There's there's um, Frank Magazine even in Canada, rightly or wrongly at different times. But yeah, there's like a tradition of this. But to like see it coming from someone like you, it, it changes it completely. Well, that, listen, that makes me really, really happy. Like I, I have uh... – you know, complicated feelings about that whole, you know, uh, time and, and, and what we did. Uh, I mean, I, I, I feel good about it. I feel good about that Forest Hill story where, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was just, like, really just experimenting with all kinds of different things. Um, and, and that one was, like, just that I had all these burnout friends who were telling me that they were getting hustled out of this school. They mm-hmm. wanted to keep their rate of, like, oh, we have, like, 95% of our kids going to university. So the VP would corner them and say, like, I know you're a drug dealer. You're on a list. And if you don't transfer to another school, I'm going to have you expelled. You know, and, and we did an investigation. We actually, I won the, the Toronto Star's uh, high school newspaper award for reporting. So, oh, yeah. So I, I got some Toronto Star love before my second round with them many years later. <laughs> and I never told that to them. But uh, I'm, I'm somewhere on microfiche in their archives for, for having done that. Send them that certificate. Let them know. You know, it was tremendous fun. And it was really like, um, it was the the life that I dreamed of. Like, like, like I want to not just, uh, like, I mean, I... What I'm trying to say here, in part of it was when I say it's complicated feelings. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work through this. Like I, I had these great friends, you know, mm-hmm. and um, 
my friendship with them kind of helped me come out of my shell and, and realize like, you know, uh, that I had validity and, and they kind of helped me give me the confidence to start doing these kinds of things. And then I got so into doing these things and the, and the work ethic and the work. And I had this vision, like now I want to take this group of friends and like, what well, we shouldn't just hang around and smoke weed. We should fucking do something. We should do a newspaper and we'll all hang out and do the newspaper. And they're like, we're teenagers, yeah. you know? And, and, uh, like I, 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 I was, you know, into that kind of straight edge, almost like, like there's a, there's a, the, the part of Rollins that I feel embarrassed about is the fascistic side, mm-hmm. you know, like, and the solipsistic side where it's just like anyone who is not helping me do the thing that I've decided to do is like a, a drain and a vampire and a, a parasite. And I, I must keep completely focused on nothing matters, but this newspaper, you know? And uh, there were times with the paper where I was just like collaborating with really great creative people. And it was not just about like the new stuff. We were like, you know, it was awesome. I flipped the whole dynamic of being so powerless where like, you know, record labels were sending me albums. And would you want to interview this musician who you care about? And like. Did you guys do a Wu-Tang review or Rage Against the Machine? I'm trying to. I did Rage. I I was was very into Rage. Yeah, I remember the Rage one. I had a a stupid opposition to hip hop until university. Okay. And I I had a stupid opposition to hip hop at a time when hip hop was so good. Like I missed. (laughs) Like I had friends who were like, yeah, I know that I'm like in the grunge, my friend Greg, but he's like, but like, have you heard this Wu-Tang album? I'm like, no, I don't listen to that shit. You know? And I listen listen to Beastie Boys. Well, yeah. And it's partisan, but you're saying like you had to, and I think it's limited resources, right? Like you only had so much money you could spend on the music you were interested in. So you had to choose like, am I a goth? Am I a classic rocker? Am I a punk? Or am I into rap? Like it wasn't like you had, now you can be in anything because it's, it's accessible. I feel like it's a lot sunnier to be a kid now. And I see that like, it's not as sexless. It's not as dark and grim and it's not as confining. I don't know. It's been a long time Mm -hmm. since I was a teenager, but I don't see that same kind of like, just completely like turn in on yourself, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that just like, even the fashion of that time was just so dumpy and, and, uh, yeah. You know, it was so puke colored and gray and, you know. We think about the grunge, the grunge uniform, you know, as it was kind of stereotyped after a certain point. It was like, you know, very, very, you know, clothing you would wear in a Oregon winter or clothing you would wear in a Vancouver winter or a Toronto winter. Like yeah. it was not like, not like now where you see like these young performers that people are liking it. And it's like, they're glam rock stars, you know, it's like glam music. And I think. You know, like music keeps going in these valleys and and, yeah. and hills, and so, but yeah, right now it's definitely a very technicolor kind of musical landscape. It feels like, yeah, and 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 that these you know distinctions that were so important to us, like yeah. is this authentic or is it sellout? Is this pop or is it real? Is this hard or is it soft? And it's like there's a wonderful bastardization of everything. Oh, you absolutely, know? and everything is just conflating and like. You know, we, I missed out on some fun music because I was like <laughs> a little too much of a self-serious idiot. Well, now you don't have to buy it. Now you can just listen to it all There's on the streaming too. service. So now you, you saved yourself some money in the long run. <laughs> That's why. Uh, so where did this kind of like, you know, because I remember I've, I've known you through family gatherings over the years and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And, you know, you're always just Jesse. And I never made the connection Till to this Jesse is that Jesse Brown until I think two years in and someone's like oh that's that's Jesse Brown from Canada Land and all of a sudden I was like oh shit and then I'm like googling and looking it up and I'm like he's the guy who did Punch like it just all every part of your life <laughs> fell into place in the sense of of me putting together this narrative because it's always been about disruption you know it's always been about looking at something yeah saying this isn't right and then trying to find a way to disrupt it. Is that me putting that on you or do you think you've always kind of had that streak? Um, 
Yeah, I, 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 it's so funny this word disruption, right? Like it's a cool word now. It's definitely a cooler word now. That's why I use that as opposed to shit disturber. No, but it's, it, it was the word back then too. I mean, shit disturber too. But like you know, that's what they told my my parents when I was sent to the office. He, he's disruptive. He disrupted yeah. the class. Yeah. Now disruption is cool. Um, I'm thinking about this a lot lately. Where you know, um. Definitely, I'm doing the right thing with my life, given who I am. Like I'm an irritating person, and and uh, I, I have a, a tendency to to like ask irritating questions and make a nuisance of myself, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, given those sort of antisocial tendencies, being a journalist is actually like you know, if it works well, is a beneficial like oh, this is like a way I can actually be myself and benefit the world, <laughs> yes, as opposed to just could. be a pain, you know, doesn't help the people <laughs> in my family or personal life um, endure me a- anymore, but. At least, you know, <laughs> I'm not like a criminal or something. You know, so, th- yeah, that, that you know, and, and, and I'm, I, I never – I just never felt good on a team, you know. Mm-hmm. I never felt good uh, like, you know, work, it was never gratifying to me um, and I was never welcomed into, into institutions in, mm-hmm. in, in a way that felt like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respect and trust this place and it's going to trust me back and we're going to do some things, you know. I uh, – I always like, you know, felt like there's something wrong with this institution. And I always felt like, you know, this institution is, you know, it's for some people. It's for like if you – not to get back on the teenage mentality, but like, you know, things are built for common denominators. That They're built to work for most people, not all people. Mm-hmm. And um, trying to make the most of not being one of those people is like, okay, well, maybe I can be beneficial as an irritant. And I try to be like – an industrial strength irritant in, in my work as a journalist, you know? Um, and, you know, like there was like a long road of like first just being very anarchic and considering myself so subversive in doing it just as, as prank comedy where I, I did not intend, even when I was doing that newspaper in high school, I never thought I'm going to be an investigative reporter. And the way that I irritate institutions will be by telling the truth about them through journalism. Like, no, I thought like, I like uh, I like Joey Skaggs, right? <laughs> I, I like pranksters. Yeah, I like Boyd Rice and pranks. Later, I worshipped Ali G. You know, Sasha Baron Cohen's early stuff. I was I, like, like I was like, that's who I want to be. Yeah, I, I'm not looking to be, you know, Seymour Hirsch or something. You know, um, that felt like just another manifestation of the mainstream, mm-hmm. the reporter, mm-hmm. and there was an evolution of like realizing that like there's nothing more punk rock than the job of, of being an investigative reporter. Like it, like to have a, a job that is about finding the hypocrisies, you know, to take it from that kind of like the stoner discussion when you're 14 of like, you know, like, Oh, society is filled with hypocrisies. Like, okay, well let's find some, mm-hmm. you know, is that true? Is that demonstrably true? Can, can we, can, can we, can we find proof to back that up? And, and shouldn't people know that? Uh, so that was a journey. And, 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 and that kind of takes me to like, you know, you ask me now about like the, the strain of disruption. Like you're asking like questions that I'm, I'm wrestling with right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, what I'm going through right now is I'm running a company mm-hmm. and it's requiring very different skills of me <laughs> than <laughs> when I was sort of like a solo independent journalist who could just like throw stones. Right. Yeah. And like, this is an institution. It's a tiny institution. It's got like eight employees and a bunch of freelancers and contractors, but those people like rely on me to run it responsibly, to be fair to them. Absolutely. You know? So I've got like, uh, you know, in, in my middle age, I'm, I'm becoming sympathetic to the, the administrators and the people who I was so critical of. And like, not in a way that, that in any way 
diminishes my certainty that those people need to be scrutinized and questioned more than anyone else. You know, it, whatever limited power I have, I do have some influence on people's lives. Mm-hmm. And though that's why somebody needs to question and scrutinize me. But it's fucking a pain in the ass to be scrutinized <laughs> and to be and to and just the feeling of responsibility. I mean, like, you know, I, I first felt it as a dad before I felt it as a business owner. Yeah, you definitely. Know? It, it changes your entire mentality about who you are in the world, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I think the uh, the interesting piece with, like, you know, it's trying to find a way to – and this sounds so cheesy. It's like, oh, it's how do you make a punk Toyota? But, like, in the same way, it's like trying to find the way to – to integrate your your beliefs and ethics into these new systems that you find yourself placed in. Like, you know, when I was singing in a band, you know, like obviously you take sponsorship money, you do things like that, but like you're pretty, you're kept pretty pure when it comes to like what you actually have to do to put food on the table and the roof over your kids' heads. Yeah. It's when you're like not in the super trendy popular band and you're like, well, I got to find another job and you start looking at what does it mean to provide for someone and like what kind of work is is acceptable to you as a person and like yeah it becomes very different to try and identify with being some sort of subversive punk whatever while still trying to provide those really normal mainstream basic needs that your children require yeah i never thought i'd want to go to fucking disney world like i had no interest but now (laughs) i know how much joy that would bring these kids yeah so now i have to find a way to get my family not right now go to the u.s but when travel becomes a little more acceptable to get my kids to disney world and that's not cheap Like that's going to, I'd have to sell like a trillion MP3s to pay for that trip. My dude, we're going. We're going. I'm going this February. I'm taking my kids. Um, I want it. You're you're, you're singing a song that is very, you're resonating with me. (laughs) Like, listen, I I, I grew up like, you know, going on these fucking wretched family vacations to Florida. Mm -hmm. I was like, if I, as soon as I have my (laughs) fucking independence, I'm never setting foot in the state of Florida. (laughs) And we had a kid and I'm like. We're going to keep it. We're taking the kid to Mexico City. Yeah. We took our baby to Mexico City. It was horrendous. <laughs> it's impossible. I've been to Mexico City many times. I love Mexico <laughs> yeah, City. Incredible I place. love it. It, it. it was stressful as shit to have a six-month-old baby in Mexico City. I couldn't imagine. I could not even begin to imagine. And then, and then we went to Florida. And, I, and we went to Florida, and we, like, rented the minivan at the airport, and, like, everything is, like, accessible by car and yeah. easy and big and fine. And, and, like, I don't know. You're talking about, like, I was just, like, growing up and, and like – I, 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 I feel like a struggle that is not like about d- surrender or defeat of like, you know, fine, I'll just be a middle-aged love who doesn't give a, you know, like, and a betrayal of the things that were so important to me earlier. I don't know that, that it has to be that. Like, I think that there is a negotiation with the world where it, it's possible to hold on to that. Like, we're too hard on ourselves when we're like, oh, that shitty teenage version of me needs to be abandoned. You know, uh, I didn't know shit then. Like, because as much as that's informed by like a lot of, you know, ego and a, and a desire for recognition, a desire for sex and a feeling like, you know, like all the things that lead to kids walking into schools with guns and killing everybody, mm-hmm. uh, those emotions are in play, but there's another emotion that's in play with those disaffected kids, which is, it, which is good that we need to think about, which is that they they were told that the world was one way as children. And then 
we just stop giving a shit about diluting them anymore. And they look at the world and it looks just gross to them. And the worst people are, are encouraged and rewarded and the worst values. And the community goes from saying like, share, be nice to just being like, who's good looking and good at sports. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, and you're just watching like the hypocrisy of it. And, you know, you can become a righteous, you know, uh, idiot. And that's the, usually what happens, but there's also something that like is idealistic and, and, honorable about that. I don't want to let go of the part of me that was disgusted by unfairness, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that, that, that's not like, so, so as you try to kind of like reconcile your identity and your, and your work and your responsibilities to your kids and things like, I, I don't know, like that, that's the challenge I think is to like, can you hold on to that and, and do things that don't make you vomit necessarily. A couple of like months ago, uh, this wrestler was on Sami Zayn. Um, he was only in punk for a brief period when he was a teenager and then he got into pro wrestling and, and had to focus on that. But he talked about the idea that this brief period in his life, uh, he looked at being so pivotal and it's, and the thing that he said was that, you know, he wonders if it's a chicken or the egg thing, yeah. like did punk make you this way or are you, are all us people that find this music, find alternative culture, are we all these types of people and we're just gravitate to the same place at a certain point of our lives. Like, were we already questioning the world? And then we just found the music that said, no, you should be. Yeah. I, it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's something to think about. Like, that's something that's, that's uh, evaporated from my life is the kind of way that, that community was made around mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I feel this way. And that's taken me to this show where there are other people who feel this way. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is, like, not a part of my life anymore where there are things like, and the specialness of that and like the hunt of finding that thing that was like, it was there in the back of the comic shop or yeah. it was in that, you know, and I found it. And then that led me to making this friend at this show. Yeah. Like, uh, that's, that's gone right now. You know, uh, and I, I don't know. I got to think about that. Like, you know, the community now is based on like, you know, who's, who's, who's got kids in the same schools as, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. like who lives on my street and we're yeah. gonna, like, we're, we're raising these kids in the same street. Let's make a community that way. It's, it's like, it's, it's much more meaningful. And at the same time, the relationship is like much more just, you know, mm -hmm. transactional and practical and you know, circumstantial. Well, and also like how many of your friends now are in different cities or in different places because of like accessibility to them, you know, like through, through technology, like, I find I've got like friends all over the place, like friends that have moved, friends that, you know, settled in different places, yeah. friends that were from different cities that I've met on tour. And it's just like my network of people is huge now. And I've got a, a lot of people that I consider friends, but I don't know if it was the same as when I was meeting people and going to the same shows week in and week out and engaging with them in a very one-on-one -on -one kind of like conversational, like personal way. Sure. But, but there's things in your life that might matter a lot more. Like, like, you know, True. the, the way that, that music and movies and comics matter to me, like I, it's hard for me to even relate to caring about those things as much right now. You picked a much smarter podcast direction to go down then. Cause I unfortunately have to be all concerned about this <laughs> bullshit. I, I, I don't consider it bullshit at all. I mean, like, no, no, I life isn't worth living without those things. Yeah. And I, like when, when I say like that, I'm not, I don't have a community based on art, you know, and feeling anymore. It's not like I'm done with that shit. Like, I, I feel like, damn, I need that back in my life. Yeah. Like maybe there'll be like the next chapter of my life. Like, like between like the demands of, of, um, you know, being a dad and like this news business I'm in, which is just like this crazy at this moment, especially all immersive monster that mm -hmm. is just like, 
there's just no bandwidth or room left. Like it's mm -hmm. dehumanizing actually. Like it's a problem I got to solve. I think it's probably pretty common in, in journalism. Like we just you know, get completely absorbed by this stuff. Well, and, and I'm not even in journalism, like just even the world that I'm in, it never stops. Yeah. You know, like every moment of the day, especially because of social media, I can get a headline come to me about something I want to read about, something I'm concerned about. And it's just like, it never stops. And like, I could only imagine if you had to report or react to everything, you know, especially because you're getting news from all over the world constantly. Yeah. You know, you can kid yourself that like, uh, because you're involved in reporting the news or talking about the news or in the news business that you're like part of the news. You're mm -hmm. not, mm -hmm. you're not, mm -hmm. you know, and you can think that you're as important as that news itself. You're not. Uh, that's something I got to remember. It's just like, you, that's got its place, you know, cause especially right now, cause as you say, you don't have to be in the news to feel like you get involved in these dramas, like the Kavanaugh thing, you know, just ended and like, you just like feel like, Oh God, mm -hmm. Oh God. Like what kind of world is this? Like, well, everyone saw the same thing and look at how it worked out. And then meanwhile, Oh, I guess that those families got re reunited with their parents. Cause we're not talking about that anymore. Like, no, nope. they, they didn't. We're just talking about this now. And then this will be something like in, you know, if you must like, oh, yeah, he, he's on the Supreme Court and, you know, Roe versus Wade is going to come up again. And, you know, like we're, we're on to some other outrage and some yep. other thing now. And like it, it's uh, I don't know, it, like how to carve out space for your own soul and humanity and, and for like <laughs> for like everything. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way about doing like I'm doing this podcast and I'm like, am I part of the problem? You know, because, like, this is obviously an escape for people, you know, and I want this to always be somewhere where you can step away from what's going on. But, like, really, like, am I part of a distraction no. from other things that no. are happening right now? No, no. Podcasts are, are, are the are the refuge. Podcasts are beautiful. I, I love them so much. I love this medium. Oh, and I don't mean just podcast. I mean, like, but in, like when no, I make no, a record, no. when I do anything, is that – because, like, we were talking, there's an economy that is now based on the click. And we're all going for that same click. And am I – Am I taking away from something these people should be clicking no, on right now? No, no, be because it, it, why it's the medium that I love is that it's the opposite of the the adrenaline of reading some outrageous headline or some headline that you're like, fuck yeah, and then you click and then you read the first paragraph and none of the rest and you, yeah. you hit share, yeah. you hit comment, and then you're on to the next thing and you're not going deep and you're not feeling anything except for like there's one emotion that was written into the image and headline combination. no. This is like the last good place mm -hmm. where people, while they're driving or painting or doing something else or doing the dishes, they, they go for like, we've been talking now for over a half hour. I put out these podcasts. We do stuff like it's an hour long. It's the, like th those articles are like two minutes. This is the last place of, of like humans. <laughs> I'm serious. And, and if you're, if you're talking about art, like, oh, are you taking people away from their like engagement with these important issues? Like Jesus Christ our engagement with issues is like, we have to rethink our engagement with issues because like, what is the value of being outraged by these things if you don't do anything about mm -hmm. it? You know? So it's like, okay, great. You're, everyone's a news junkie now. We're all getting outraged all the time. So what? Like I, I, I do believe that people need to be news literate and, and we shouldn't just like, I read this dumbass thing that some tech entrepreneur was like, I'm done with reading the news from now on. I'm just reading books. I'm like, Oh, the world's on fire and you're not going to read the news. You multimillionaire. <laughs> He'll read about it in eight months when that book comes out about the world being on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that is so irresponsible. Yeah. Like, I, I do think we have a responsibility to know what's going on so that that can, I mean, as if nothing else as voters, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but 
if the idea is that we're trying to make a better world uh, through like the reason why you want to know about what's going on in the world is so that hopefully your being aware of it and informed about it could lead to it being somewhat better. Like that's the model, I guess. Then what is the point of that entire endeavor if not to make a place where it is possible to have art? Mm -hmm. Like what is, what is that freedom Mm -hmm. for? That's true. You know, that's true. It's just like the way art is appreciated has changed, I think too. And I think, that's part of it, you know, yeah. like I think, you know, and once again, it comes back to the idea of, of money, but I think like the idea that you, if you sacrifice to be able to experience that art, you'll have a different engagement with it than if you just flipped it on in the background while checking your texts, you know, like I think, yeah, and, and, and that's me too. Like, I'm not saying that I'm like shutting off my phone and, and watching these things with my full attention. Like I'm doing it like everyone else is. And it just feels like the the role art plays in our world is kind of changing slightly. We're losing the ritual. Yeah. Ritual is really important. Mm-hmm. And and the flattening, you know, the punk thing, it's so interesting what's happened, right? Because I used to sit around as a media-focused kid and as a kid who was really uh, interested in these kind of philosophies coming out of punk and hip-hop and other things and say, like, fucking mainstream media, like – this internet thing that's starting, like, wouldn't it be great if one day, like, the the fucking three networks that get to decide, like, like, sitting up waiting for much music to play one song from a band that mattered to me, where I would sit up to 3 a.m. Yeah. Like, man, what if we could have our own channel where we could play videos? Like, I know those videos were made. I know my favorite bands made videos, you know? What if you could just watch them whenever you wanted to? What if we could make our own show? And get paid for it. Like, what if we get, like, there's, I remember having like, like theoretical conversations with, with people like, what if there was some way that if like a thousand people watched it, it doesn't have to be a million, so, like, that, you know, some advertiser would automatically be assigned to that. Like, like, you know, all of that DIY culture thinking and the way the internet was going to be the savior for that, it all came true. Mm-hmm. And what, like, why does it have to be so hard to find this music? And I know that that, I know that album was released. I know that there's like a limited edition thing, but I can't find it anywhere. What if the internet could, like, could solve that and connect me with this work? And all of those things came true, but, but we lost the ritual and the ritual was, it turns out like half of the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. You know, so it's flattened it. It's true. I can, I can broadcast from Canada land and kind of have the same like presentation. I'm like, it's on the same platform, Facebook, you know, or iTunes as, as the big players, as mm-hmm. the big major media. And there's a flattening where anybody is, anybody can come to the party and anybody can have space, but then everything kind of gets flattened. And there isn't like, there isn't like that taking it out of, I'm not even going to pretend that I was some big vinyl head, like y- even finding the CD yeah. or the tape or getting the mixtape from the friend. I'm not like, some weird analog fetishist, you know? I am, so, but I will excuse your uh, disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that had, it, like, you just, you, it was great. You just yeah. can't, you can't, like, there's something fake about trying to make it happen now, you know? Like. It's not the same, yeah. Like, you don't buy a record because it's the only way to hear it. You buy it as a as a conversation piece in your home. Or, yeah, because you remember what it felt like yeah. when it was when it was so hard to find yeah. and when it was so special. So there's somebody who's willing to cater to that nostalgia and like make, you know, okay, here's a special album and, you know, we'll only make a few of them. And I, I don't know, like I, it, you, you can't get it back. Like, like, like finding that issue of the comic book, like it, it's just hard. It's hard to, to read. Like it's got to be something new. Mm-hmm. But we lost, like, we lost rituals around art and, mm-hmm. and rituals around communities around art. 
Well, back to me being an analog fetishist and and your journey. When did you stop doing punch? Was it when you graduated? I remember you did like a big last issue and there was like an editorial in it where you kind of gave your reasons, but sadly I've lost my issues. No, I'm glad you did. That was like one that I was embarrassed by, I think. Like, I I think it was like, uh, you know, for all the kind of uh, biographical stuff I've provided here, like, you know, I I, – I finished this year. It was a functioning business. It was making money. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the year, it was at like uh, six different high schools or eight different high schools. I can't remember. Like it was like, you know. In record stores too? Yeah, yeah. We would go. Like, yeah. I, I would go. Do, like We had boxes on the street. Yeah. Which the city was like sending me letters like you're not supposed to have a box. <laughs> um, How'd you get those boxes? I found a uh, some some place like that had old abandoned boxes, and I bought a bunch of old boxes and spray painted and them. You spray painted them because they were all branded, like yeah. Like we, we, I was like, this has to look like a real newspaper, you know. Well, that's in the, it's not making noise in the basement. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyhow, I, 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 you know, I had errors. I had artistic errors. Um, I, I was like, you know, Ryerson gave me this journalism award, and Toronto Star gave me that other award, and. Um, Ryerson asked me to come to J school. Like, you know, John Miller, who was running their journalism school, said, come here. You know, like, we want you at this school. And I'm like, I'm not going to be a fucking reporter. Like, a reporter was a square-ass job to me. Yeah. And, you know, I had, like, older friends who were, like, who'd gone to school in Montreal and were, like, much more involved in the artistic community. They were involved, like, they were interested in, in cartoons and comics and animation and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and um and I just did not think of myself like I still, even though I was the publisher of a newspaper, I'm like I'm not I'm not pursuing a career as a journalist, you know. Um, I wanted to go and uh, disappear, like you know, like I had this high exposure to this Toronto media scene, mm-hmm. and I had been really by the end of it, it, it was that thing of like going from being anonymous to being like really celebrated. Even CBC, like I was out on Andy Berry's show, and he was so nice, and it was like the response, like I debated my principal on the air, and yeah. it was like you won, and like you know, it was like I was being celebrated. And I'm and I was like fuck you to to being celebrated uh, and I'm not gonna like stay here and run some business, I'm gonna go be an artist in Montreal and I went to university and I found ways to make films and draw comics and I edited the schools like we we we, we took over me and this kid Josh Dolgan and, and Sarah Keenly side we edited a, a comic book and I I uh, I wanted to disappear and I wanted to go somewhere you know that was like I had some idea that like where art was important was important to me you mm-hmm. know. And I, I uh, was there for 10 years before I kind of like, you know, at some point realized like, I, I'm not a talented cartoonist <laughs> and I don't have the patience for animation. Um, like I was hitting walls and I was like, you know, doing this humor column for this prank humor column just as a way to make a buck and uh, really came to like – it was there all along, wasn't it? Like, what do you actually got? You're good at irritating people, you're, you know? <laughs> you're good at, like, uh, putting together a team of people to publish something that gets people's attention and that is interesting and that, like, you know, and I, 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 I uh, kind of came by full circle and, like, and, you know, and it was other things happened, too. Like, I heard This American Life. That was a, a really big deal for me. Um, that was the first journalism that was like, oh, I, 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 could, I, I would want to make journalism like this. This is not, you know, the news at six, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then I had the opportunity to do that. I had the opportunity to work with Mike Lenwright, for Mike Lenwright at the CBC. And I moved back to Toronto and then I, I kind of It's funny that you say there. you didn't want to be a journalist, though, because that's the thing that, like, stood out to me about that punch stuff, especially that, that Forest Hill article. Um, because, you know, at the time there were definitely zines that I was picking up where it would be like, fuck school, this teacher sucks. But there was, like, an actual 
journalistic approach from like a, a young person's perspective to it, where you were going to interviewing sources, you were going to the teachers for comment, the principal for comment and things that, I don't know, just felt like there was a, you know, maybe it's once again, like you're saying, you didn't want to make noise in the basement. You wanted to be perceived like everyone else was, but like there was like a journalistic approach to the teenage nihilism. Yeah, it was journalistic, but it was like we actually had an article called Fuck School, but it was it was called Fuck School, a how-to guide. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Which which wasn't like a reported piece of journalism as much as it was like, don't just say fuck school, like fuck your school. Yeah. Like here's how you do it. It's a game. You can win the game. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and it was very like no, – sorry. And, and I, like were you aware of voice? Because like obviously you're doing it the exact same time, so I know it's not an influence, but like – it seems like they were kind of doing that, but for an older generation, and you were doing it for like the younger kids. Yeah, I didn't know them when I started Punch. Yeah, no, but I, I, I but actually, like um, delivering copies to like the beguiling, I yeah. saw a voice, yeah. and I picked it up, and and it blew my mind as it did everyone else's. Yeah. It was, it was like, oh, this is like the grown up version of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I definitely thought that, and then when I moved to Montreal, I'm like, I need to go meet these guys for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, you know. In my second year in Montreal, their offices was around the corner from mine, and uh, I wrote for them a couple times. And uh, this is documented in, in podcasts where I talked to Gavin, uh, where their their his 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 overt anti-Semitic stance was uh, you know, a point of departure between he and I yeah. at a very early stage before that became his identity. You know, anyhow. Um, but no, I was certainly like, oh, like I, I had an eye, an eye on them. Uh, for sure. And there was like a weird, like when I first went in there and met him, I showed him my newspaper and he was like, oh, you know, I know that this takes a lot to do something like this. Let's, let's talk about working together. And we had a mutual interest in comics and Gavin, uh, he did a, a comic strip for our university comic anthology. Oh, yeah, because he used to do comics too. In yeah. Books. I remember that for years. Yeah. Yeah. They're terrible. That's just part of, they, they're saying, yeah, I couldn't really draw. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was, that was definitely like, you know, uh, like I think, I think I have clearance to say that like, uh, with, with certainty that I, I, I was not, uh, aping, uh, voice later vice when I started punch, but somewhere, somewhere in the process, I became aware of them for sure. Yeah. No, I never felt like they were the same thing, but I just think once again, it's that sort of like, and it's funny to look at like where they've gone and where you've gone, where like these two things that were basically punk, you know, obviously much more professional than photocopied zines, but punk zines. Yeah. And like, look at the places these two people have taken up in real media in 2018. Well, <laughs> I mean, they're a vast, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, multinational media brand. Absolutely. We're a tiny little digital news company here but in Toronto. At, but by the same time, it's self-built. Yeah. You know, and in the same way, like, obviously they went a different route and, and did it. But, like, I think the idea that these two things that started as self-built, like, it's just, like, an amazing time and place, like the mid-'90s. Yeah. It, it, and and we we forget this, that uh, we were a tiny generation, you know? Yeah. Like, the millennials that came after, there's a lot more of them. Yeah. And then the people who were before us, the boomers, there were a lot more of them. And we were kind of like, I think a lot of it was that we didn't matter as a market. Mm-hmm. Mass media never really bothered selling much to us. Like we were just sort of supposed to buy the stuff that like the older older or younger yeah. people bought, you know? And so if we were going to have anything of our own, we had to make it ourselves. And uh, for a small cohort, I think that there's a lot of, a, a lot of impact. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's like a lot of th- like, you know, strains that you can trace to those days for sure. Oh, absolutely. And it's, and it's like... You know, and I think there's probably that ability for that stuff to happen now, but I don't know if it would have the same impact now as it did then. Like the fact that, you know, you did this newspaper and 
took over Canadian media. Oh, not Toronto media, definitely. Like in the sense that you were being talked about everywhere. As like a young person, I'm like, holy shit, he's he's down here now. He's on here now. Like this guy's doing it. And I wonder if it would have, if you'd be able to make that same sort of impact now. And, and Vice too. I mean, like when they came out, it had a huge impact because there was nothing else like that. Yeah. The game has changed. The game has changed. The game has changed. I think that it's possible, but it would be very different. Like on the one hand, the wall between regular people and the media is uh, has collapsed, you know, mm-hmm. like that you can get on. There's a million ways to get on you couldn't get on before. On the other hand, the influence of that media, like what that means, it used to really mean something to get on, to get in the paper or, or you know, or, or <laughs> yeah. to get on much music was like, holy shit. I know? know. And then you do it and you're like, this doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't really like necessarily make anything happen. Like back then, like, no. you know, I would do, uh, you know, Metro Morning and it would be like, the phone would ring like crazy. Advertisers yeah. would go nuts. It's like, it's not a big deal anymore, you know? And like, really, you know, you're, you I'm finding that like, you know, there are hobbyist podcasters out there with numbers that are bigger than my podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's just like, like w- 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 legitimacy is based on other things, you know, like we're building, we build our legitimacy based on our news stories being like interesting and true and things that other people haven't reported. But the numbers game is like, that goes to other people now. It's like the, you know, it goes to like Lily Singh or something, or, you yeah. know, like, uh, and, and, and she can do that without even having that main, like she's, she's everywhere on mainstream, but she didn't even need it. Like, yeah. like, you know, they're, 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 they're getting more help from her than she is from them. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So yeah, like it's, it's just different now. Nothing brings that point home for me more than when I'm watching a YouTube video with the kids and it's a grown person putting on silly voices and playing with toys. And it has like 15 million views and it's been out for like three days. Dude, what is with this shit? I have to hear this every night. My kid with these <laughs> Pokemon and Beyblade videos where some ja- like, It wouldn't bother me so much if it was a kid. But no. Yeah, exactly. Some jackass adult being like, hey, what's up, YouTube? I got the Pokemon <laughs> cards right here. I'm just like, I do, I do not trust this no. man with my children. No. And in like a different time, like if there was a guy at the comic shop that always wanted your kids to come hang around and watch him open Pokemon cards. You would stand the fuck up and say something. <laughs> You'd be like, no, there's something not right about this. Uh, yeah, there was a man in the comic book shop who wanted me to come talk comics with him. And, and uh, he was – if my parents had been paying more attention, they might have been weirded out. But it was actually a good thing. Well, that's what, that's the other thing I was going to say. The flip side is, is punk rock and, and alt- alternative culture seems to have like a Peter Pan effect. Yeah. Like the idea like in punk rock that I at 14 was hanging out with 50-some-odd-year-old adults – but we would just talk about records and, and there would be no – and obviously there's a certain privilege in being like a, a, a male in this situation and maybe it was experienced differently by people of other genders. Yeah. But from my perspective, it was like a very innocent – time and relationship in this place that I was in. Yeah. You're bringing up another part of the ritual that was the, that I think is probably lost. You know, I remember George of the silver snail or Steve at yes, the beguiling. George of the silver yeah, snail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having some bitter older person judging your taste in things. <laughs> you need like, that. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't happen. I don't know. I mean, now it's the weird thing where your kid is like meeting some weird stranger on Fortnite, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe some like, like they'll be talking about like, yeah, those are really formative relationships. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, and you know that's the thing. There is a mass culture now that that is Fortnite and that is things that you know we're not supposed to get in the same way that I don't think my parents understood Straight Edge when I went Straight Edge and they probably wouldn't have understood Rollins and the appeal of Rollins, you know. And like maybe it's it's probably better that we don't 
understand what our kids are into because that means it's, we're going to have another generation of interesting people. Yeah. Well, it's also stuff that's engineered to be inexplicable to grownups. Like, yeah. you know, I, I – I'm happy to be like a dad who doesn't get get it, you know. Like, like I don't want to be the get the dad who's like, let's go to the show, kid, you know, son. Let's, uh, you know, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna be down with everything you're into. Like, that's you know, he needs to come up with stuff that just horrifies me. Um, I've take, kept you for a very long time, Jesse, uh, but I do have one more thing to say. Okay, you brought up that last column that you wrote, and you said you had some regrets about that final issue of Punch. But the one thing that stuck with me and this is why I talked about you being a huge inspiration to me the last line or one of the last lines in there was the fact that you were telling people anyone can do this and that you should go out and do this and that kids out there need to do this stuff and I think that was what you know I'm sure there's stuff in punchy regret writing I'm sure there's stuff in punchy regret publishing but at the same time to like offer you know if no one else just myself that kind of power and opportunity, I really owe you a debt, and I owe Punch a debt for that. I don't, I don't know what to say about any of this. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Like, it's, it makes me so incredibly happy, and it's like, I, I don't even remember writing that. Yeah, you know, I, 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 uh, I know you as, as like for, from your work. Yeah, you know, and to find out that I, that I, if I, if I. If I did something back then that helped you, like, that's uh, that's amazing to me. That makes me so happy. Well, then it's a mutual appreciation society, my friend. Thank right. you very much. We're done. Awesome. Thank you, Jesse, for coming on the show. And hopefully, Jesse will be back for a part two one day. Uh, and maybe, maybe that wrestling podcast on Canada land will happen one day too, that I've been talking to him about. So who knows, who knows, but uh, thank you, Jesse, for coming on this show. One thing I do know is what will be on the show next week. I'm continuing my uh, run of, of amazing guests that mean a huge amount to me and my personal development uh, next week on the show. Cause next week on the show, Someone I've wanted to have on for, oh God, ages. Someone I've wanted to interview forever. Oh, next week on the show, the founder of Slapaham, one third of the band Spaz, current beer aficionado beyond compare, Chris Dodge will be on the show next week. A legend. Uh, a bona fide legend. He was in no use for a name, you know. Like it's it's an incredible episode. Uh, you know, we their name dropped on Doctor Octagon Spaz. You know, so there, there you go. This band to me is the Beastie Boys of hardcore in the way that they bring everything together. The coolest of the cool. Oh man, I'm stoked about this episode next week. You will hear it all on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Go out there and make your own culture. Thank you, everyone, at Vans for the continued support of this show. Uh, thank you to my brother, Tristan Abraham, for his help. Go and sign your organ donor card. Please, everyone, go and do that. And go out there and make your own culture. I will see you next week. Bye. And don't forget to come see Fucked Up on the Road.